Welcome to the Monsters of Fantasy. This was written, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Sean McCarter. Monsters of Fantasy is a production in which I will explore the truly horrific side of the fantasy world known as Dungeons and Dragons. There are content warnings in the show notes below. Episode 22 The Balgura Story given to us from Jaquil Andal about how his cousin summoned a Balgura at his wedding. Well, I've known him my entire life, practically. He's not one of my brothers, but you'd think he was one of my mother's litter by how much he was over. His mother, my aunt, died during childbirth with his younger sister. His father, a deadbeat of a Siamese, left shortly afterwards, leaving Zan, an orphan at the age of nine. Within a week, his life had been completely turned upside down. I remember him stopping by and asking me what type of toys do little sisters like. He had gotten five copper pieces and wanted to get her something for her birthday present. He left a bright-eyed kit full of joy. Next I saw him three weeks later his eyes were dead. He was shuffled between my other aunts and my mother, spending the days with whatever relative could look after him. Somewhere along that shuffling, Zahn was shaped into a loner, seemingly losing himself with each move. We tried including him in the games we played, but he never really seemed to be there, running across rooftops, scaling trees, hunting jackals, hell, even kick the can. He'd just sit there, vacantly, and paw at the can as it passed him. I'd never seen a tabaxi who'd been as somber as he. They say a tabaxis are born with nine lives and a fiery passion to match. But when Zahn lost his parents, it seemed he had lost all nine of his lives as well. He stayed that way for another five years, cooped up in his shell. And that was perfectly fine with me, honestly. I was a kid back then, so you couldn't expect me to do too much in terms of helping him. I had my own life, problems, and growth to handle. I'm a couple of years older than Zahn. Not terribly too much, but... By the time he was coming into his mid to early teens, I was already planning a life of my own. The same summer that Zahn started cheering up was the same summer I met Natalia, my wife. We were seventeen at the time, but just as in love then as we are now. So, you can't blame me. Puppy love, they called it, clouded by judgments around the time. If I was ever seeing Zahn around, it was while Natalia was practically hanging off my arm. I never noticed the uptick in his personality, but most of the family will tell you they thought he found a neighborhood girl like I had. He would be gone for hours at a time, and come back sneaking in in the middle of the night. Eventually, he started dressing differently. I wouldn't say better, but eventually he couldn't be spotted without this all-black attire. While his fashion since turned gothic and somber, his outward manner perked up more and more. He started reading more from these large old books, tomes almost the size of the building stones, that looked like they weighed as much. Uncle Till had told us he even heard Zand practicing what he thought was elvish when he was staying with him one month. 
old Nan Rose used to make jokes that the lad was learning the devil's magic. We all thought it was jokes, that is, until Zahn came to stay a moon's turn at our place. He started coming home smelling of sulphur and soot, sometimes covered in a bit of ash. One night, in particular, he came in just shy of midnight. Most everyone had been asleep, nigh Natalia and I. We were upstairs, sharing some time with each other on the roof. Just as things between us were getting interesting, we were interrupted by the sound of Zahn and an older gentleman arguing. It was odd. I hadn't heard them approach, but as if seemingly out of nowhere and accompanied by the smell of sulfur, I heard Zahn pleading. Please, Marlene, I'm old enough, I know it. It is not about whether you are merely of age, my child, said the gruff and older voice. The voice was foreign to my ears and made me hesitant. He didn't have the same accent as my kin and Rakir, but he spoke the tongue perfectly well. I've taken on students as young as seven. It matter not that you are ten and four, but that you lack the strength needed to go on such an adventure. I don't lack the strength, see? There was a brief pause in the conversation. I looked over the edge of the roof with Natalia as we pressed our bodies flat. I found myself looking down at two figures, illuminated by a faint orange light. Zahn was there in his black robes, but his hood was down so I could see his face. He was smiling broadly with his whiskers twisted into a nasty smirk. I couldn't see the face of the older gentleman as his black hood was covering his head, but all over him the fiery orange was gleaming off bands of gold, sigils and impulse to someone's eye necklaces that looked like snakes intertwining. Then my eye was caught by the book Zahn was holding, the same book I've seen him reading out of at the breakfast table. But now the pages themselves were illuminating like a bright flame. But instead of fire, the words were dancing across the pages. They looked so alien, just twisting and bending into themselves. Zahn started reading the alien script as nonsense spilled from his lips. Then, a white bony hand snatched out and closed the book, just as the orange glow was starting to grow. What did I say about using your magic so close to home? Natalia gasped. Magic, I thought, my mind starting to race. Nan was right. He was talking to the devil, or some evil shaman. You're right, the old man continued. I was surprised you were able to summon the Balgura at such a young age, but be careful. They are quite hard to control, Zahn. Good night. Study up and I'll be back tomorrow. I watched Zahn leave the old man and start to sneak in through our back window. Faintly, there was a quick rushing of wind, followed by a pop, sort of like the sound of a bottle blowing its cork. Natalia squealed. I glanced over, and where the old man was standing only remained wisps of smoke and a small scorch mark on the stones. I sat up all night unable to sleep, pondering how I should approach the situation. My dear Nan had been right. Zahn had been working with a shaman or the devil or something. I figured I would go in the morning at first break of light 
and talk to her about it. None of us have to knock when entering Nan's place. And why would we? There are nigh on thirty of us, cousins, second cousins, aunts and uncles, nieces, grandnephews, that call this place home some way or another. All different ages of tabaxis running through old stone boroughs, so many of them you'd be tripping over them. But nothing floored me as much as seeing that grey old human cloaked in black talking to my white-haired grandmother. When I walked in, it was obvious I was interrupting something. Nan had brought out old silverware I hadn't seen in years, and was going as far as making him tea. My Nan is the most caring person I've met, so this would not be odd, save for the fact my grandmother is also the most superstitious person I've met. The man that sat in front of her should have been giving off so many red flags. He was wearing the darkest and most finest of robes, embroidered along the cuffs and trim of his hood were golden snakes. Stitched upon his breast was an eye made of gold that was odd, long, and reptilian. The man himself looked aged, but very clean and well kept. He had short grey hair that was slicked back with some sort of grease. He had the golden chain that disappeared into the folds of his robe. But the robe had many folds and bumps that seemed to move separately underneath him as if he was hiding something. Maybe it was whatever was producing the smell of sulfur in the air. Before I could say anything, the old voice had broken my shock. Ah, this must be Jock Will, he said, gesturing to the open seat in the room. I've heard so much about you from Zahn and your grandmother Rose here. That's when I noticed the pouch sitting on the table between them, a solid black sack that was almost the size of my palm. I saw glints of gold spilling out of the top. I don't know how long I sat there listening to this old man from Athafos' land of many races. Praise Zahn. He sat there saying how gifted he was at magic, and that there were schools in Voron who could help train that magic. I eventually was kicked out after asking why some kingly man from the capital was in our small village. All the while, the adults, my grandmother and aunts and uncles, had finally solved the problem of that extra mouth they were feeding. I don't want to say I forgot about Zahn, because he never truly left my memories. But since he's left, I've finished my schooling, joined and left the army, opened up a shop selling pastries, and even started a family of our own. So you can't blame me that my memories of Zahn started to fade. Natalia had been pregnant with Eliza at the time of our wedding, and... To save face, Natalia's father had wanted to have the wedding prior to the birth rather than after. Told him it didn't matter to us if he saw Eliza as a bastard. Our love was true, and I don't really care about his god. But I digressed. Natalia's family was paying for the wedding. So, if they wanted to happen within a moon's turn, so be it. That's why I didn't send him a letter by pigeon, let alone horseback. I figured even if I could get a letter to Zahn all the way in Voron, that there would be no way he could have showed up to the wedding on time. I know that's why he did it. It has to be. He felt scorn because I didn't invite him. 
Like I said, Natalia's father paid for the wedding. I won't get into too much of the details, but he was an ex-adventurer who sacked the deserts of Rakir for gold. Now he uses that gold to erect and staff temples to worship his cat Lord Tezka. But because of his influence on our wedding ceremony, it was a lot more pious than I would have wanted. Many busts of religious statues had been brought to the private ceremony even those being held outside on a vast stone space. The seating area looked caged in by the banners. The streamers, either bearing our names or the names of tabaxi gods, clouded the air. The guest list was surprisingly full as well, despite the short notice. Natalia's side of the family made up two-thirds of the attendance, while mine only a measly third. Now mind you, I said there were nigh on thirty of us more so at the time, that shared in calling old Nan Rose their old Nan. And while I don't keep count, it seems that almost every relative that I had that was living within Luxor had shown up. There were hundreds of tabaxi gathered here to celebrate our union. I couldn't help but laugh to myself, wondering how many truly wished us happiness and health, or the ones who only wanted to just get drunk. There were screams of merriment in the night, as the ceremony was dying down and the people started dancing. Or at least, we thought there were screams of joy at first from where we were. It wasn't until the sounds were accompanied by the crunch of furniture had I gotten worried. I told Nat to sit tight while I went to check on the sounds, but as soon as I had let go of her hand, I heard it scream. It wasn't the same as the screams and shouts of children that could have been confused as merriment, but rather a deep echoing roar that practically shook the ground. Chaos broke loose as the panicked guest fled, but fled from what I don't know. Limbs, fur, and clothes clouted our faces as bodies ran screaming. I saw a table fly through the air and splinter across one of the statues. It toppled over and the bust of the goddess slammed into the ground near where we were cowering. But after the shatter of wood and stone, the ground did not cease to tremble. The soft patter of hundreds of paws running away from the... That's when I saw the beast flying through the air. The lights of the wedding ceremony gleamed off its orange and red fur. I could barely tell where the matted blood ended and the beast began. It looked like the giant apes from the mountains, but its teeth, more like tusk, twisted upwards. The underbelly was a dark blue and rippled with more muscles than I could count. Bulging out of its stretched and scaly skin, they fought against the golden shackles that had broken free of their chains. Towering over all the guests, I saw it reach down with its fist and pick up a woman who was screaming as it separated her from her fleeing family. And with one smooth motion, her screaming stopped as two halves of her were flung into the air. The monster was moving again, leaving a trail of blood, bodies, and gore as it leapt around the ceremony. It looked as if it were attacking guests haphazardly, screaming and biting at whatever got close. Some of the guests who had hidden blades and some knowledge of the arcane tried fighting back. Scimitars would strike out at the monster as it paraded around, 
but for every blast of magic and drop of demon blood spilled, five or more were slain. One of the ones fighting back with magic was none other than Nat's father. He was predominantly on the defensive trying to help the ones who were too hurt to flee, but once he spotted us in the chaos, he ran over panting. He didn't give me enough time to even understand what was happening as he shouted, dragging us to our feet. His eyes were glowing, and he looked at us with a sad, sad face. He turned his glowing eyes to Natalia and begged her to go find her mother. I started scanning the crowd for my own loved ones. But my eyes were caught by a familiar glow off all by itself. There was a figure standing alone in an orange light amongst the bodies. The light was coming from a book that he had held within his hands and illuminated his Siamese face as Zahn's mouth was moving rapidly. I started to shout at him, but the words were caught in my throat and all I could do was cry. Then I heard my new father bellow a word, some word filled with such magic I didn't know possible of mere men. Warmth overwhelmed us, but not the same warmth of fire, but rather the warmth of an afternoon sun. The very outlines of Natalia started glowing. I looked down at my own arms, and where the brown fur ended, light began illuminating. There were six of us glowing huddled around the middle-aged priest, and that seemed to have caught the attention of the beast. It was just about to pick up one of Natalia's second cousins who was cowering under a table when it instead started charging towards us. I heard Natalia's mother wail as the creature jumped towards us through the air. The creature was no more than ten feet away from us when my vision had become obscured by the blinding sunlight that bathed us. In a flash of light, everything went white around me. The air was no longer warm and had become increasingly freezing. I no longer smelt the carnage of blood, but instead my nostrils were stung with salt. And for the very first time in my life, I was looking out at a sea. High above in a temple dedicated to the ancient god of the sun, I was looking out at a sea. When previously we had been weeks from the nearest coast, I was now in the middle of an ocean. Before I could question where we were, my new father started screaming, first of the demon, then of our safety, then of how this surely meant a doomed union for his daughter. It was supposed to be the best night of our lives, and Zahn took that from me. I don't know why he did that why he killed so many of the people who took care of him. But I promise you, if I ever see that old human again, I'll claw his throat out. So, I was looking for some stories about Merlin or any of his pupils. There are literally thousands of pages to thumb through in his library of statements, though. This is the first one we found that mentioned the same tomes from the previous one. We tried looking into this statement, but fell short with the investigation. Jacquel and his wife refused any follow-up contact and have distanced themselves from that side of the family. But whatever magic that's going on smells a bit fishy here, seeing as students of Merlin's summoned a literal demon to stop a wedding. Physiology 
The Balgura is a large demon that resembles a large blood-colored ape. They stand roughly thirteen feet high and have an arm span even larger. They are strong, beast-like demons that swing and climb across a battlefield just as a giant ape from the abyss would. Nico even seems to have some field tests done on these demons, noting their relative speed and strengths compared to that of other ones. An average Balgura can pull the same wagon load as a bunch of horses, even one of them going as far to bench-press a limit of 7,000 pounds. I wonder how did Nico and his researchers get such accurate studies on a demon I had only heard of about just this week. Resistances and Immunities The Balgura is from the Abyss, and is even said that the very hair is the essence of fire. In reality, its fur is red because of its abyssal nature, but it does come with a lot of fun magical abilities. Let's start with the defensive ones first. Like most creatures from the Abyss, the Balgura is completely immune to being poisoned, as well as being very resistant to fire and lightning and frost attacks. Being from a different dimension, you'd be correct in assuming they have innate magical abilities, but surprisingly, no natural resistances to the arcane, just an affinity to it. Attacks and Abilities For rather dumb creatures, they are spectacular spellcasters. Spells I've seen wizards struggle to cast, spells I've struggled learning, even spells that Luna doesn't even know. The most simplest of Balgura can learn them. While not a long list, it seems the Balgura can call on the dead roots within the earth and use them to entangle a foe, as well as the ability to mentally assault an individual. This is due to their incredibly powerful telepathy, a link they can form with individuals to speak directly in their minds, something very common amongst demons, but it seems that they can use this connection very rarely to harm an individual. And, if that wasn't the worst of it, they can magically disguise themselves as well as turn invisible. If you aren't familiar with the magic involved here, hop down to your local haberdasher and ask for a hat of disguise. It will let you alter your outward appearance to, well, disguise yourself. So, imagine a 13-foot-tall rampaging gorilla that can turn invisible as well as blend in with a crowd. As far as attacks go, I think the story summed them up perfectly. Biting, hitting, and ripping. The Balgura's strength lies in its size and power. All that magic stuff is just icing on the demon cake. Okay, so this made me really upset. Someone who Nico, my boss, is friends with, seems to be creating an army of, well, murderers. I tried bringing this up to Nico through Luna, and at first he seemed genuinely surprised. He said I f had found a statement taken by a previous researcher that he hadn't yet read. But he assured me nothing was wrong and nothing was happening at Merlin's Manor. Two days later, he informed me that I have been personally invited to come see for myself. I don't know when the two even talked about me, but it seems that Merlin has opened his gates to my curiosity if I see fit. Maybe it's time we get back into the field research of these monsters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on MonstersOf underscore on Twitter for news and updates on the show. 
This episode looks into the dark past of some of Merlin's students and starts to show just what type of magic Merlin has been teaching his wizards. Join us next week as Kesvar gets a story from one of Merlin's students directly about the type of demons they study. Thank you for listening. Until next time.